Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. Kia ora koutou, Wilmington Fano. That means hello to all of you in the Wilmington family. My name is Hamish Taylor, as was said. Thank you, Jack. Um, and I'm just absolutely honored to be here. Uh, got three boys growing up. They were much smaller last time we were here, about four or five years ago. Um, and of course, you know Molly. Uh, so I've been associated or connected or, or visited Wilmington uh, for quite a lot, nearly more, nearly 20 years. 20 years I've had associations with you guys. Ever since I came to Bible College in the States and met this very pretty young lady named Molly, and um, she uh, brought me here to visit with you guys back before this part of the building was built. You guys were on the other side, and um, I've always enjoyed my time with you guys. So it is absolutely wonderful to be here. Uh, Now, I am from the small little country of New Zealand that's tucked away at the bottom of the Pacific there. Um, You know, we we just sort of hide away next to Australia um, and stay out of the way of everything that's going on. It's pretty pretty nice and secluded down there. And now if you know New Zealand, you probably know it because of Lord of the Rings. How many of you know Lord of the Rings? I'm getting some nods. I guess, yeah, yeah, we've got some Lord of the Rings fans. That was nearly 20 years ago. So that was kind of like a whole generation ago. But basically, we just said, we've got all this beautiful scenery. We just need to make movies to show the world our scenery. That's what, I mean, the, the hobbits and the, all of that sort of that's just by the by. It's really the mountains we wanted to show you. Um, and so that was so successful and so big for our tourism that we just had to do it again 10 years later. Uh, so we put The Hobbit out, you know, and then, well, you know, that was 10 years ago. So we're going to do it again. So now Amazon's put out the TV show Rings of Power. And basically, we're just going to keep shoving our scenery down your throat through TV until you all come to my country and spend your money um, over there. And so you should all come. Come to New Zealand so that we can put an end to all of this Lord of the Rings rubbish. Now, physically, our nation is, is, is very beautiful. It's got a beautiful landscape. But spiritually, the landscape is a lot more bleak. Uh, New Zealand is what a lot of people call a post-Christian country, which means we used to be a very strong Christian nation, much like the United States, and we would send missionaries all over the world, you know, and, and we had a very strong Christian culture. But over the last few generations, that faith has dwindled mightily, much like what you were experiencing here in the States as well. In fact, we are probably just a little bit further down the road. I usually say about 20 years down the road, but I think Dale was mentioning probably a little bit less. I don't know, you guys change at a different pace than we did. But you can look to New Zealand, Australia, Europe um, for a picture of what's, what life's going to be like soon. Uh, so basically, we're both in that sort of on that path of seeing a decline in Christianity to the point now where... Um, it's estimated that about 3% of the population will go to church on a regular basis. Um, And uh, we have many people who, several generations, I know Dale in the first service was mentioning someone who, uh, a child who had never heard um, of Jesus um, and had had no idea. And we're, 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 again, multiple generations 
where no one has any communication with the church or with Christianity or anything like that. So I uh, came to the States. I grew up in a Christian family, and so I didn't really see any of that um, until I came to Bible college here in the United States to become a preacher. And uh, I started looking back on my country, and I started to see this decline and see the problems that were coming from that and the rise in, in uh, mental health issues and depression and suicide and, and alcohol abuse and domestic violence and all of those sorts of things. And we started to sort of see that correlation. And so that was what led me into church planting. I decided I needed to be part of the solution. Uh, well, God's leading me into, into that part uh, to do that. So we went back um, to New Zealand. We started a church in Christchurch in 2010. And then more recently, um, 2019, we started Church Northwest, which is the church I am now leading, of which you guys are faithfully supporting, which we appreciate very, very much. Um, and so our mission is to help each other take our next step towards Jesus. And so basically that means uh, whatever step you need to be taking there, so it covers everybody from don't know Jesus at all, so maybe my next step is to, like, who is this guy? To figure that out all the way through to people who have been Christians for 30, 40 years, what is your next step? And we're just helping each other to take that next step. So that's what we're all about. Um, our church is about three years old. Uh, we've had our issues with COVID, just the same as you guys did. Uh, New Zealand had some pretty strong sort of uh, lockdown procedures. And so we found ourselves online for long periods of time. Uh, we got pretty used to filming and, and doing church online uh, for nine months. Actually, the most recent one, we were online for nine months. Uh, but through all of that, we still managed to uh, stay strong. God has blessed us with people. Um, and so we've managed to continue moving on from strength to strength. We have a, um, our own native uh, eldership now. So we are fully self-governing as a church, which is a pretty big deal for three years old. Um, and we're working our way towards being financially um, self-sufficient as well. So it's, it's all exciting. It's very good. There's lots of cool stuff happening. And if you want to hear some more stories about um, what's going on with that church plant, um, please come and see me after the service. I'd love to, to share with you. Um, otherwise, again, we just want to thank you on behalf of my family and my church for all of the, the support that you guys give to us, both through finances and through prayer. It's fantastic. All right, but this morning, what I wanted to do is I wanted to tell you a story. We all like stories, right? Stories are, are important stories. In fact, uh, the Bible is 80% story. Um, and so this idea of telling stories is very important. And for me in New Zealand, um, the traditional Maori culture is, is big on storytelling. And so I want to tell you a, a sort of a traditional Maori story uh, because I believe there's some very cool things that happen when we engage with the stories of different cultures. Every culture tells stories. Every culture has ways of expressing life through stories. So if you want to engage with a culture that is different from your own, start with their stories. Now, when the British missionaries came in on their boats in the 1800s, they uh, encountered the stories of the native people, the Maori people, and unfortunately, the first thing that they heard was they heard about deities and gods and mythological creatures and, and all of these sorts of things that traditional um, native cultures would use as a way of explaining the world around them. And as soon as they heard that, they said, no, 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 that's wrong. 
And technically, they were correct. That is, those things aren't correct. And they presented the story of the Bible, says this is truth, and they went with that. And that was technically correct, but I think they missed an opportunity. A beautiful opportunity to see stories as more than just facts or ways of explaining the world, but rather as expressions of the deep human desires that people have, that all cultures have. And the stories of a culture express what is going on in the human heart. Questions, deep questions like, who am I? Where do I fit into, into this world? How do I find fulfillment or happiness or anything like that? And I believe that those deeper human needs and emotions and expressions, they have these intersections with the gospel. God's story, the way that he engages with humanity, this, this Bible that we have, there are places where the culture and the stories of culture expressing human need intersect with what God wants to say to people. Does that make sense? So if you start looking at stories of culture, instead of are the facts and figures correct or not, if you start hearing the human desires beneath those stories, you can start finding intersections and places where you can engage the story of Jesus with their stories. So I'm going to tell you a story, traditional story, and what, you want to do, what I want you to do is to see if you can hear ways that the gospel can interact with that, and then I'm going to uh, get into how that can happen in a little sec. Okay, so the story is around Matariki. Now, Matariki is uh, the Maori New Year. It uh, happens around uh, June, July every year, and it's, um, it, it happens, it celebrates the transition from winter into summer, and it begins when the Pleiades uh, constellation appears in the sky. They don't call it the Pleiades constellation, they call it the Matariki constellation. And there's a lot of different stories that are told around Matariki. Different tribes in New Zealand will tell different stories. But I found this really intriguing story in a school learn-to-read book um, called Matariki Breakfast. Um, and it's just the story of uh, this family as they celebrate Matariki and what it means. And in this story, there are, well, there's actually two different stories. They reference a very famous traditional Māori story, and then they transition into another story. And the first story is about a guy named Maui. Now, your kids will tell you who Maui is from Moana. How many of you have seen Moana? All right, that's good. You're either shy or you're not watching enough TV, but here we go. That's fine. So this is, this is Maui. Um, now, this is a different sort of version of Maui. Each Pacific culture has a different version of this guy. The New Zealand Maori version of Maui is, what shall we say, a little less rotund than this one. Um, actually, there's a lot of backlash amongst Pacific cultures about this depiction of Maui. But anyway, moving on. So anyway, in New Zealand, we have the story of Maui and his interactions with Tama, um, Tamanui Tera, the sun. Now, Tamanu Tera, the son, uh, he had one job. He rises in the morning, he goes across the sky, he gives light and warmth and, and daylight to the people, and then he goes and he rests in the evening. Now, however, Tamanui Tera, if you want to put that up on the next screen, he was uh, not a good guy. He was a bit evil, a bit selfish. 
He wanted to race across the sky, get his job done and dusted so he could go back to his cave and, and, and crack open a Coke and, and binge watch Netflix for the night. That's what he wanted to do. He didn't want to spend time doing his job. So he would just like zoom across the sky and the days were too short and people were left with not enough time to, to grow crops or to fish or to do whatever they needed to do to live and be happy. So Maui and his brothers said, all right, enough's enough. We're going to sort this out. And so they weave together some magic flax ropes and they go to the place where Tamanui Tera, the sun, would rise and from this hole in the ground, and they hid behind around the hole, and they waited for him to rise, and then they threw the ropes over the top, and they trapped him. And then they said, you need to slow down. And he's like, no, I'm not going to slow down. Who are you? You're just a person. I'm not going to listen to you. And so uh, Maui and his brother, they, they beat him. Not a particularly friendly story, but they beat the son, not to kill him, but to injure him and slow him down, so that then he would move slower across the sky. Now, that's the famous story of Maui and the Sun. Almost everybody in New Zealand knows this story, and you can see some of the sort of ideas and themes underneath that around justice and around right and wrong and around about protecting those who are vulnerable, the people who needed the sunlight were being oppressed by the sun who was selfishly trying to just do what he wanted to do. So you can see these pictures and these themes and ideas of right, wrong, and justice. Yeah? All right, well, that's not the end of the story in this book. There is a second story that kind of takes place after this story. It's less, less well-known. It's kind of a sequel of sorts. And it's about Matariki and the stars. Matariki is one of the stars and her daughters. Uh, six daughters, so there's seven stars total. Now, the idea here is that Tamanui Tera, the son, he was feeling ashamed and he was beaten. He was probably not feeling particularly physically well either, having been beaten by Maui. And so he hid away. He didn't want to come out anymore. He felt ashamed. He felt lonely. He felt just judged. And so he hid away. And so that's where winter came from in this storyline. And, and so these, the people were cold and they had no warmth from the sun. So Matariki and her daughters went to Tamanui Tera, the sun, and started to shed their light on him. They started to sing over him. They started to give them warmth. And slowly, Tamanui Tera, the sun, started to warm up, started to be restored, started to feel stronger again, and eventually came out and started to spread his light on the world. And that's the signifying, the Matariki, this change from winter into summer. That's the story of Matariki. And I was really struck when I first heard this story, because the first part of the story, Maui and the Sun, this famous story, this very strong tone, like I said, of justice, of right and wrong, protecting the weak, all very, very good. But the second part of the story just takes a very different approach. And this is not about justice. This is about reconciliation. And it speaks to the deeper human desire to be loved, to be accepted, even when we have done something wrong, even when we have been judged fairly or we own the things that we've done wrong. We still have this desire to not stay in that place of shame, but to be reconnected, to be restored, to be 
brought back into right standing. I wonder, do you think the gospel story has anything to say about that? I'm being a little sarcastic. Yes, of course, it does. This is the gospel. This is the story of who Jesus is. I want to read a passage from Zephaniah. This is actually Old Testament, but just pictures this beautiful picture of how God sees humanity. Listen to the language of this prophecy in Zephaniah. It says, Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. Check this. Check this language. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Do you see the beautiful correlation here between the story of Matariki and her daughters bringing restoration and singing over Tamanui Terada-san, and what God is doing for us. Do you see the intersection here? This place where the deep desire of my culture and the story of what God wants to do for us comes together in this beautiful moment. That God no longer wants to reject, rebuke, or judge us. We were wrong. We are wrong. He has the right to judge us, but he doesn't want to do that. What he wants to do is restore us, to bring us back, to love us, to care for us, to sing over us, to shed his light and his warmth on us so that we will be drawn out of hiding, out of darkness, into a right relationship with That's the gospel story. That is what God has done. That is why we're here at church. That is why we sing songs. Because of that. And he showed us this example. When he came and he lived amongst us, when Jesus came, he didn't come with fire and judgment. I mean, he had a little bit for the religious leaders. They kind of had that coming. But for the rest of us, he did not come with fire and judgment, but with love and with compassion. He he hung out with sinners. He ate with prostitutes and tax collectors. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He showed mercy. Now, did he believe deeply in truth and justice? Of course he did. You bet he did. Did he put up with sin? Did he agree with sin? Not even a little bit. But instead of showing judgment, He wanted to draw people to himself in love. His own words, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So, the story of Matariki represents this intersection between the world's desire to be reconciled, to be restored, to be brought back into light, to be loved, to be accepted. 
and God's desire to do exactly that. So here's my question. Here's the challenge. As we think about the story, the story of Matariki, which, which is just a story, but a story of culture and, and the story, the truth of God. If the world is like Tamanui Tera, the sun, what response is it getting from the church? Is it getting the response of Matariki? And her daughters of being warmed back into reconciliation, of being sung over with joy, with love, with compassion? Or is it getting the treatment of Maui, trapped and hammered by our desire to show justice, to be right, to show that they're wrong? Which one? I'll tell you, right and wrong is still right and wrong will never change. And we need to hold to that dearly and strongly. But the world already knows that we think that they are wrong. The world already knows that we disagree with them. Does the world know that we love them? I understand that as, as a New Zealander coming in, I stand distinct. I, I don't know exactly what's going on in the church. I hear really good stories about you guys and the love that you have for the community, which is fantastic. But I want to, I want to press upon you as a, someone who has lived and grown up in a post-Christian society to a group of people hitting, barreling into the same situation. We need to hold dearly to the truth of Jesus because the truth of who God is is needed now more than ever. But that truth will not come through an angry protest placard. It will come through an outstretched hand. It will come through love. We need to explain to the world, and we will use words to explain who God is, but it is not words alone that is going to reach the ears of the people in this world. The vehicle for the truth of God is no longer our message, it is our love. That is how it gets to people. When we love People, it draws them out like Matariki drawing out the sun. It warms them and pulls them into a place where they can know and understand and be loved by God. Uh, when I look back on the life of um, our young church, I'm pretty proud. I, I'm pretty proud of our church. We have some good people, uh, mostly not because of me, but in spite of me. But that's, that's a side issue. But God has done some very, very cool things. But the moments I am most proud of in our church happen when people love. I had a few stories, but I want to just tell one story. Um, one of the proudest moments in, in, in church. Well, the moment wasn't proud, obviously. It, it's, there was a tragic situation. I should probably start that way <laughs> so I don't get the wrong impression about what I think. Uh, but there was a, a couple years back, um, just five minutes away from where we meet as a church, um, a police officer was shot and killed. 
Um, and it was, it shocked the whole community. Um, gun violence is, is not super common in New Zealand. It's growing, but it's not super common. And so during that time, I mean, the whole community was kind of like, whoa, what just happened? I mean, New Zealand police officers, they're not even armed. Um, it's, it's just, it's not the world we're used to. Anyway, so during that time, we had um, one of the wives of our elder, one of our elders, the wife of one of our elders, just to be clear, not multiple wives, just the one wife of one of our elders. Um, she worked in the police force. Her, her um, role was to be like a social worker or to help with trauma and help with dealing with the emotional backlash of the job of police officers. So she works with police officers. So she was right in the thick of it. I mean, I'll tell you what, the police force was scared, they were angry, they were confused, they were just absolutely torn up. And so she was able, to, in that chaos, in that dark moment, where people were wanting to do some pretty not nice things, she was able to put love into that equation. She was able to share not explicitly the, the name of Jesus, her job sort of restricted the way that she was doing that, but she poured the love of Jesus into their lives. She was able to share and care and just bring warmth and light into a very dark situation. At the exact same time, another elder in our church who is connected into um, his, him and his family are beautiful people, and beacons of light into a very dark corner of our society. And their family, an extended family, had some, some troubling issues. And in fact, through family connections, they knew the person who shot the officer. And so they were able to engage with and show love into that side of the chaos and engage with a group of people who were also angry, the anger that led to that situation happening in the first place. And they were able to not necessarily agree, not, not, not sort of just to set aside the horribleness of the situation, but to bring love into that conversation. So at the exact same time, when, the, when society was felt like it was tearing apart and there was a rift in our community, our church was able to share love into both sides. Is that not what the church is for? Is that not a picture of the church? It's nothing to do with me. I'm not tooting my own horn. I had nothing to do with either of those situations, either of those two families. But it was just a beautiful place. Where else are you going to find a group of people that are able to effectively engage with both sides of a horrible situation? that they're able to connect and to love and to care and to pour warmth and light into a very cold place. That's the church. That's the power of what love can do. So let us be the love that the world needs. Let us be matariki. Let us be the ones who are not bringing judgment and condemnation, but are bringing life restoration, reconciliation. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation. We have been reconciled. Now let us reconcile the world. We beg people to be reconciled to God, and that begging comes in the form of love. We love people. It has to be love. 
May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with action and in truth. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Do everything in love. Lord, we live in a broken world. We see brokenness around us in Wilmington, in the States, in New Zealand, everywhere around the world. Brokenness comes in different forms, but it all comes from the same place. It comes from being disconnected from you. Lord, our ultimate goal as your kingdom, as your people, is to help people know who you are. Lord, may our love for the world draw people in. May we shine our light, give our warmth, sing love over people to warm them into a space, into the presence of you. May they see you in us. May we move forward not with judgment, but with compassion. The compassion you showed us. And may the world know who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.